Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Hey, podcast world. Welcome to an extraordinarily interesting, provocative, illuminating edition of FNO InsureTech, your one-stop shop podcast for all things InsureTech. Yeah. Uh, we don't just talk to InsureTech companies. We talk to companies that are around InsureTech and people that influence InsureTech and all things that are going on in InsureTech and including InsureTech Connect, the conference that we went to. Today, we jump in headfirst into an area that we have not fully covered, I think, well enough yet. Would you no. agree with that, Lee? Yeah, I think we've only we've only touched the surface with a couple of other interviews. But today we start our deep dive into the world of cyber insurance and how the heck you do that and the tools you need in order to do it. And also, for all of you, some tips of how to be more careful with your own little cyber world that you live in. And of course, if you're listening to this, you live in a cyber world and or you participate in it. Uh, I'm Rob Beller, by the way, and that's Lee Boyd. Lee, have we done 150 episodes yet? You know, I've lost track. I feel like I've been counting to 150 for a while. I'm pretty sure no, this could be like 148 or something. Our producer's wagging her finger at us. No, no, we're not good enough. We're not worthy. No. We Soon. started this almost three years ago on the idea that we should do this, and we did it, and we thought, wow, if we get 10 episodes, that'd be awesome, and we're almost at 150, so that's kind of cool. Our guest today is Pascal Miller, who is the CEO of CyberCube. Do you know what CyberCube is, Lee? Before I read the notes, I had no idea what CyberCube was. No, me neither. I wouldn't have known by the name. But why don't you go ahead and tell us what it is? I mean, CyberCube is a company that helps underwriters understand the risk of cyber. And and we have a whole a whole interview that we're going to get to talk about it because it's it's a big deal. It's a big deal. We have to know how to rate. We have to know uh, the risk. We have to know all the things associated with cyber. And this company comes in and uses analytics, data scientists, uh, all of this information to give the best information possible for these underwriters to, to rate the cyber risk. And Pascal, uh, I think has been with it the whole time. And this company was spun out of Symantec. So this is a big play by a big uh, data company that has lots of access and lots of know-how and lots of ability. So listen up and listen tight and make sure and check your security settings. Yeah, maybe some dual authentication. Maybe some dual authentication. So without further ado, here is our interview with Pascal Millera, the CEO of CyberCube. Hey, everybody. We are here with our special guest who's joining us from around the corner from where I live. I'm in Sacramento, as you know. And Pascal Miller joining us from Mill Valley, California, which for those of you who don't know, is like a magnificently beautiful area in the Bay Area. Pascal is the CEO of CyberCube. 
And we're going to hear all about that today. But first, we want to say welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks, Rob. Thanks, Lee. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Pleasure to have you. So give us just one quick minute on how nice Mill Valley is and the surrounding area. It is beautiful, and it is particularly beautiful in the midst of a pandemic. And it was during the pandemic that I certainly found myself out on marathon 25, 30-mile hikes. Uh, and Mill Valley is a great place to be doing uh, to be doing just that with uh, the redwoods, the ocean, and uh, a lot of the beauties of the Bay Area just at my doorstep. That is, what is a twenty-five mile hike like? How, how long does something like that take you? Uh, well, it depends how steep it is, um, and also what it looks like is in the winter uh, you have to start pretty early, so it means getting yeah. up before sunrise. It means bringing a lamp and getting a headlamp and coming back, uh, particularly more at the 30 miles after kind of sunset. But look, if I'm going to take a day off. I really want to take the day off. And that's how I do it. That is so fun. That is that is great. Pascal, you have a very interesting accent that I'm picking up. Help us to understand where that's from. Uh, short answer is nowhere, um, and that there's no place you can pinpoint where this accent's from. Um, I was born in Canada. I grew up in New Zealand, went to school in the UK, and have been in California for the last 15 or so years. Oh, well, that, that means is no matter where I go, people say, you're not from here, are you? And it's a complicated answer. Uh-huh. I saw that you went to Cambridge. So at first I thought, well, we're having a Brit on today. But it's not that simple, is it? Not that simple, although Britain is close to my heart. Uh, London is the arguably the global capital of insurance. And in fact, at the end of this podcast, I'm hopping on a plane to take my first trip to the UK in 18 months. Yeah. Wow, that's exciting. That's exciting. It's it a long time to be sitting on a plane. Uh, it, it is, it is. But look, when you've been kind of growing the company as fast as we've been growing the company, working with colleagues for such a long time without having met many of them in person before. I think it's uh, well worth the trip, even though it's uh, not without some risk uh, given the pandemic today, but it's one that I'm willing to take at this point. That's a great lead in for CyberCube. I assume you're going there because of CyberCube or to do with CyberCube and perhaps your customers. Explain to us, it's a unique company, an interesting company. And cyber is, of course, a super hot sector in our business. So Start by giving us a minute on what CyberCube is and what you do there. Sure. So CyberCube is the world's leading software as a service analytics provider to cyber insurance institutions. We emerged from stealth in 2018. And since then, we've rapidly grown to a company where our analytics are used by 20 out of the 30 top U.S. cyber insurers, four out of the five largest reinsurance brokers, the world's leading cyber reinsurers, and about half of the top 50 brokers of cyber insurance. We think that cyber insurance is a transformational opportunity for the multi-trillion dollar property and casualty insurance industry. And our goal is to be the preeminent cyber data and analytics partner to PNC insurers as that industry is transformed by digital and internet connected risk. And tell us about what you do at CyberCube. So what we do is, unlike many Silicon Valley startups who are there to disrupt the insurance industry, we are there to enable the insurance industry. 
We're there to provide brokers with the analytics that they need to sell cyber insurance for the first time. We're there to enable underwriters to understand the complex and fast-moving risk that is cyber from a financial perspective, an exposure perspective, and a security perspective in a very easy way. And we're there for reinsurers and those in cyber risk management to run catastrophe scenarios to help them understand how bad a global cyber event could be. We believe there isn't a bigger opportunity that PNC insurers have had in a generation, if not a century, to ensure technology risks. And it's only with world-class data and analytics that brokers and carriers are going to be able to ensure uh, what I believe is the most important risk of the 21st century, internet-connected risk. It, it seems to me like cyber danger, cyber risk is totally the Wild West that who knows what's coming next? Or is it more uh, more orderly than that? Yes and no. I mean, I would say, um, but in general, I would say it's more orderly than you would think. If you look at the insurance industry over the course of the last 10 years, one of the ways that the rubber hits the road in insurance is on insurance pricing. And I think what we've found with cyber is we've had um, you know, through 2015, years and years of highly profitable, sustained top-line growth in cyber insurance for carriers with remarkably consistent and remarkably attractive loss ratios. So from an attritional loss perspective, you could argue, hey, this isn't necessarily the, the, the Wild West, but actually insurers have done a very, very good job on average pricing cyber insurance in a relatively narrow and, and relatively attractive range from an attritional loss perspective. On the other hand, the other challenge for cyber insurance where you could say it would be the Wild West, or at least there's a lot of unknowns, is on cyber accumulation. And what are the catastrophic cyber events that haven't happened yet, but if they did happen, could dramatically shake the global economy and potentially even lead to solvency issues for insurers. Two or three years ago, before CyberCube came along, you could say cyber accumulation was the wild west, the great unknown. Since then, since releasing our cyber catastrophe model, we've found that the 10 near misses, near global aggregation events that have happened over the course of the last couple of years were all events that were either directly in or very closely related to scenarios that were in our cyber cat model. So I would contend that actually the insurance industry on an attritional loss basis and on a cat loss forward-looking basis, it's actually done a remarkably good job at actually understanding this risk and this very dynamic risk. Now, it's changed a little bit with ransomware over the course of the last 12 months has thrown a bit of a spanner in the works. But, um, but I would say the, uh, the market's doing incredibly well in this nascent and rapidly growing space. You know, you're the first one to really come out and say that, that it is organized and that there is some, some structure to it. Give me a little bit more on CyberCube. Your company goes into other companies and looks at their data to see what their risk is. Is that right? And how is that done? Sure. 
So when we think about underwriting a cyber risk for, for a company, we think about three sources of information. Two of them are quite unique to CyberQ. The first is what can we tell about this information, this company from the outside? What can we tell that's publicly available from their website, from the IP addresses that they own, from what you can see in the dark web about that company? There's a bunch of outside-in information that can be really helpful at understanding if this is a good risk or this is not such a good risk. And that's something that many companies, carriers, and cyber rating firms do. The second thing that was pretty unique to CyberCube and unique to our history as a business is actually some of the most relevant information is not publicly available about a company. It exists behind the firewall in those companies themselves and in cybersecurity companies. So one big innovation that CyberCube brought to the market was to say, let's partner with those cybersecurity companies to get the micro-segment level information that says, what are the industries, company sizes, geographies that are under attack, that are patching or not patching, that have good security and incident response capabilities? And let's fold that into the underwriting process in the same way that an underwriter might look at, or a, a, in kind of commercial auto, you might look at the make, model of a vehicle, the age, gender, and zip code of the driver. There's incredibly rich data available behind the firewall that is incredibly helpful in informing underwriting and analytics. And then the third source of data, which is increasingly also very unique to CyberCube, is the data that sits within the insurance industry itself. Insurers have been writing these risks for a long time. They've been paying out claims for a long time. Brokers ingest incredible amounts of information that's not otherwise available as they're filling out applications for cyber insurance. And what makes CyberCube unique is that we both combine that outside and publicly available with micro-segment and behind-the-firewall data from a couple of dozen different data partners, including Symantec, with the data that comes from our insurance industry clients and that put together uh, enables us to provide our clients with a really unique and distinctive view on cyber risk. And so is that a, a, a rating that you would put on this book that the insurance company would come in and be able to price it accordingly? Correct. That would certainly be one use case as we look at a particular company based on our experience and the experience of our clients, being able to come up with the probability of certain scenarios happening. And the severity of those scenarios happening is something that's really important. So it's a score it's of, of sorts, right? You're like some form of scoring of the risk. Correct. I mean, there are, there are really kind of you know, four types of information that you want to know. First okay. is you want to score them from a security perspective. How secure are they? And that's something that is really common in the cybersecurity industry. Secondly, however, you want to know how exposed are they with a simple and easy to understand score. If you have very poor security and no one is targeting companies like that, that's going to be a very different proposition to you're very secure and you're constantly under attack. The third thing you want to know is the quantification of loss in the event that there is a cyber attack of different sorts. And then fourthly, from an accumulation management perspective, You'll also want to know what happens in aggregation events and the impact on your balance sheet. So in some ways, there are kind of there are different types of scores 
for different use cases. And what's very specific to CyberCube is we understand that an insurance company or a reinsurer or a reinsurance broker need information that's a little different than what the security industry needs. And that's why we tailor these scores and we tailor these outputs specifically and exclusively to the needs of brokers and carriers. So can a company use your service to figure out where their weakness is and then go in and actually fix some of their weaknesses or build fixes? That's not something that we do today. Our focus is really on powering and enabling brokers and carriers. You don't provide cybersecurity. That's not your task. That's correct. We're the software as a service analytics provider to brokers and carriers. Saying that, um, what we're finding increasingly is those very same brokers and carriers are actually taking the next step. And they're saying, you know what, we're finding things with CyberCube's analytics that are potentially pretty worrying. We're finding open RDP ports, which are one of the major attack vectors for um, for ransomware. We're finding misconfigured um, uh, misconfigured company websites, which could lead to really substantial problems. And in some cases, we're finding things like crypto mining operations and infrastructure abuse from IT infrastructure owned and operated by these enterprises, which are really worrying signs for a broker or carrier. So although we don't serve the enterprise, we serve the insurance carriers and brokers. But what we're increasingly doing is arming them with the information that they need to successfully not just underwrite this risk, but actually make these firms, these enterprises better risks as well. And I think that's an incredibly exciting proposition and an incredibly important role that insurers and brokers armed with our analytics are increasingly undertaking on one of the most important risks that society faces. You guys came out of Symantec. That's correct. Are they still involved? Talk about that journey quickly about going from being inside of this big behemoth to set out on your own. Sure. Yeah, we have a really unique story for a startup and that we weren't a few folks in a garage in Palo Alto or in Mountain View. Uh, we were a, a few folks in a conference room as a part of a Fortune 500 technology company, Symantec, one of the world's largest cybersecurity companies. And what Symantec found was increasingly cybersecurity was a topic that was cared about not just by the CISO, the chief information security officer, but by the CFO, by the general counsel, by the risk managers, by the insurance buyers, by board risk committees that had nothing to do ostensibly with IT directly. And what they were finding was there was this explosive but early growth in insurance. And Symantec asked themselves, we sit on one of the world's largest civilian cyber intelligence networks. We sit on enormous amounts of data. Could we put that data to good use to help the insurance industry better price, underwrite, and model these risks? Uh, That's where I came in. My background was as a management consultant with McKinsey & Company, where I served financial services and insurance companies. I then got the tech bug and had become the president of a hotel software business And when Symantec was looking for someone to incubate a startup with Symantec support that could both grow a software business and had a grounding in insurance, 
I was an obvious fit. So we were very lucky to spend our first couple of years incubating the business within Symantec. We emerged from stealth and were spun off as a standalone business at the start of 2018. And to this day, we retain uh, data feeds from Symantec that feed into our products. Although now, those are alongside a couple of dozen different data partners and CyberCube's own proprietary analytics. We have a leg up and head start versus other startups that, uh, that, that start from more of a standing start when it comes to developing their analytics. Sure, you came from a data giant. We did. And in fact, I mean, there, there are a few bigger data giants than Fortune 500 technology companies. And so it was interesting to, in the very early days, talk to insurance brokers and carriers. Uh, and they were saying the opposite. They were saying, look, one of the biggest problems of cyber and cyber insurance is the lack of data. We right. turned that on its head and we said, actually, there may never have been a line of PNC insurance with more data available than cyber. The question is just how do you get access to that data? How do you make sense of that data? And how do you turn it into something that an actuary broker or underwriter could use? And that's really where we came in at CyberCube. And a big part of the role that we that we play is taking data and make it consumable for insurance use cases. That is so neat. I, you know, lately I've been reading this book about the history of Lloyd's of London. I felt like I didn't know enough, so I read this book from the 1980s. I don't think it's in print anymore, but it, it's this really neat book. I started reading today, and it's talking about how it started out with ships, and then it started, you know, Lloyd started moving into these other insurance markets, but it was a little difficult because they didn't always have the information on the risk. They didn't know how much the price of that. And so I started thinking about cyber and I'm thinking we're fairly new to cyber. How in the world are they able to say, yes, I'll, uh, you can pay X premium and I'll give you this much coverage. And what you're saying is that there is the data. There is the information there. But I'm, I'm looking at cyber and I'm thinking this is a chaotic world where you just never really know what's going on. You don't know which one's the next one to fall, which one's the next one to get breached, uh, where that's going. But that's not really what you're saying. You're saying that there is more data that, that can be used to help a person understand where those attacks may be or which companies may be more vulnerable. Is that right? That, that's right. And, and, and also, I don't want to provide the impression, however, that this is easy or this no. is straightforward yeah. or that for any individual risk, that there are data sets out there that provide crystal balls. That's simply not the case. But that's not what insurance is about. Insurance right. is not about a crystal ball for a single risk. Insurance is about getting things right on average. On and average. On, average, on average, the industry has been doing incredibly well. Now, the aspiration, of course, is not just to get things right on average. What right. I see insurance brokers and carriers do is the next step that I was alluding to before, which is making enterprises even better risks, pointing out things that they're not doing that they could be doing, and increasingly becoming trusted advisors to enterprise on the backs of our analytics Absolutely. and enable them to do better. And then finally, I also think insurers should be singing from the rooftops and brokers about the value that cyber insurers and brokers are providing in the claims experience. When you get breached for the first time as an insurance executive, that first 24 hours as an enterprise executive, 
that first 24 hours will be some of the most consequential in your entire career, and it will likely be the first time you've had a major breach or ransomware event. For an insurer or broker, they may have had over a thousand. And so the value that they can provide, right. the resources that they can rally. A playbook. The playbook, exactly. And that's partly what insurers are providing, a playbook to do better before your breach or cyber event, and then to respond really effectively afterwards. And I think that is an incredible value that brokers and carriers are providing to enterprises today, and that's going to only improve in the future. What do you cover? I'm, well, you don't you you don't write insurance, but typical a typical cyber cyber insurance policy, what does it cover? In the early days, cyber insurance policies were focused on confidentiality, so data breach, the the, the theft of sensitive information. Today, however, um, cyber insurance policies are focused a lot more on the availability of that information and things like business interruption covers. So when you have a ransomware attack, uh, you may lose access to thousands or tens of thousands of computers or your only three computers you have in a small business. And that's incredibly damaging to your ability to continue to, to run your business, hence the business interruption coverage. In future, however, I see a third wave where we move from the confidentiality of data to the availability of data to the integrity of data. As we roll out the internet and connect all corners of the global economy to computers and online, as we roll out hundreds of billions of Internet of Things devices, as we automate industries, um, you know, having you know, corrupted data uh, could lead to enormous physical damage uh, and lead to untold um, you know, uh, uh, kind of you know, damages across our society. So what I really see is a uh, is, is, a, is, a, is a line of insurance that started off um, as affirmative standalone coverages on the confidentiality of information to over time moving to availability and the integrity of the information and more importantly over time really reshaping almost every line of PNC insurance globally as we connect the internet to our cars, our homes, our offices, our cities, as we automate industries, as we continue to use data in an explosive fashion. I see very few corners of PNC insurance over the long term that don't have a cyber risk or internet, not internet connected technology component. And that's why this is such a transformational opportunity long term, even if it started with pretty modest roots. Out in the general public of insurers today that are writing these policies, how are the loss ratios out there in general? Right. For a very long time, cyber had the unique characteristics that delight an insurance executive. Number one, top line premium growth was incredibly strong. And number two, loss ratios were very low. In fact, according to Fitch, between 2015 and 2019, loss ratios were at, were at 42%. So if we fast forward, however, to over the course of the last 12 months, we have seen a spike in ransomware that has led to losses that are far higher and, and, and in fact, probably more aligned with other uh, lines of commercial insurance, more like 72%. Uh, percent. 
So I think what we see is a shift from a highly profitable line of insurance from a nutritional loss basis to a more typical loss ratio. However, that very quickly is being countervailed by strong pricing increases, which are being accepted by the market, a tightening of terms and conditions after years of new coverages being thrown in for free, more robust underwriting, and frankly, just a maturing of the cyber insurance market. So I would say it's historically been very attractive from a loss ratio perspective. Uh, We had a bit of a blip in the last 12 months, but actually one that over the long term I see as being super productive for a sustainable and long-term profitable cyber insurance market. That is so neat. What are the trends in cyber attacks you're seeing right now? Are there certain trends that are going on? Once again, it seems like it's just all over the place, but you mentioned ransomware. Is that one of the main trends that people are doing to get this information or money? Yeah. Now versus 24 months ago, I would point to three things. And one absolutely is ransomware. Those that seek to make money from cyber attacks, financially motivated cyber criminals have transitioned from a profitable business model of stealing your data and selling it to a far more profitable business model of locking you out of your data until you pay a ransom. So that's been a huge shift in the cyber landscape and in the cyber insurance landscape. The second thing that we've seen that's become far more pronounced has been attacks on your digital supply chain. Many of the largest and most sophisticated and high-profile attacks haven't been one company like a Target or a Home Depot getting impacted, but a company like Microsoft and their um, email exchange server or SolarWinds or Kaseya being impacted, and that leading to hundreds if not thousands of other businesses being impacted. So the second trend is the focus on your digital supply chain as a point of potential attack. And then the third is just ongoing shifts in the nation state dynamics in terms of nation state actors changing their political motivations and alliances, which does show up in very different attack patterns. Um, And ultimately nation states uh, end up being behind uh, some of our largest and most sophisticated cyber attacks that we see. I look at situations like the like Target just to choose one. These are highly sophisticated organizations that are mature that have enormous IT budgets. It seems to me as a total amateur out there that there's just so many places in which a breach can be initiated that it's almost it feels impossible to be impregnable. Am I overstating that? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think you're overstating that. Uh, and in fact, in the case of Target, it was actually an HVAC supplier, believe it or not, that had the vulnerability that led to Target's data being breached. So it wasn't even Target themselves. It was, their, uh, it was a supplier and an unlikely supplier at that. But I think you're right to say that even over the course of the last 24 months, Nation state activity in particular has driven home that no company is immune. In fact, if large cybersecurity companies themselves can get breached, what does that mean for a small and medium sized enterprise or a non security company? But that's where I precisely think that insurance is a really important part of a comprehensive cyber risk management strategy. 
if, a, if you're a large corporate and you're already spending $100 million a year on cybersecurity, where are you going to spend the next $10 million? You're not going to buy that risk down to zero. A more thoughtful uh, approach to risk management is using insurance as a way to kind of mitigate and transfer risk rather than just an endless spend on cybersecurity that can never take your risk all the way down to zero. So I, I would assume that the insurance world is evolving uh, with their policies. As just like you said, cyber risk are changing. There's different things out there. I know at the end of the day, they're taking data or hoarding data. But uh, is that is that happening? Or are these policies evolving to cover wider and broader cyber risk? They are. And, and I think that shift from confidentiality to business interruption um, was, um, was met by the, by the insurance market who, who introduced business interruption covers, ransomware covers, uh, and all sorts of additional um, uh, coverages that, um, that really meet the needs of enterprise insurance buyers. These enterprise insurance buyers often have cyber as the number one risk that they're most concerned about. Um, and so the insurance market has responded. Now, on the flip side, one could argue that perhaps they responded a little bit too uh, uh, proactively in terms of providing these coverages often with no additional premium, uh, no sublimits, you know, no co-insurance, and, and some of the, the good hygiene items that one would expect in the rush for growth. Um, I think the recent ransomware um, spate has led to a re-examining of some of those forms. Um, but I think, again, it's just leading to a more sustainable market where insurers are providing the coverages that enterprises need and doing it in a sustainable way. So as a guy who lives in this world every day and probably sees some remarkable things happen with these organizations... How do you run your own little digital life at home? We, you know, we have thousands of listeners and I'm sure many people are thinking to themselves, oh my God, am I being as careful as I need to be? What can you share there? I would say the first thing to be cognizant about as an individual consumer is you are a target for cyber criminals and you probably have already been targeted by cyber criminals. Um, looking at email, you know, the, the, the email phishing uh, campaign of yesteryear was the Nigerian prince that, for whatever reason, had found you, Rob, in Sacramento and needed to transfer hundreds of millions of dollars to your bank account. Well, that Nigerian prince has now got far more sophisticated in terms of ways that they will send emails, voicemails, phone calls to lure you into providing your contact details, your social security number, and access to your computer. So I would say when it comes to unsolicited kind of phone calls, emails, just absolutely keep your guard really, really high. Secondly, the more practical technology advice that I would give to an enterprise is the exact same advice I would give to a consumer which is one of the very best things you can do for an enterprise's cybersecurity is turn on something called multi-factor authentication. So that is when you're signing on to a website that it doesn't just require a password, which is easily hacked, 
but it requires something like a text message to double check that your identity is in fact who you say you are. One of the big learnings from the insurance industry is that companies that have multi-factor authentication turned on have substantially reduced um, uh, uh, loss counts um, you know, far more than necessarily spending you know, huge sums of money on new security. And the very same multi-factor authentication available to enterprise is available to you when it comes to signing onto your Google Gmail or other services. I realize it's a little bit of additional work getting those multi-factor authentication text messages, but my second top tip would be the same one I would provide to an enterprise. I'd also provide to you, turn multi-factor authentication on and automatically you'll dramatically reduce your cyber risk. And it's free, so can't complain about that. I want to get back to breaches and and I want to talk for a second about the solar winds breach, which sounds like maybe the biggest, baddest one we've had out there. Is that correct? And and I think you talked on uh, that they they get into one company that does business with a lot of companies and that gives them that broad access. Can you tell us a little bit about that breach and 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 uh, the kind of data that might be spun off for you guys to use from that? Sure, sure. So SolarWinds um, is an example of a breach of a trusted IT uh, company that serves thousands and hundreds of thousands of other companies. And so a breach of them was a digital supply chain attack, that trend that I was mentioning before, that can lead to impacts on a very large number of other, other, other companies. Um, one of the, as from an insurance industry perspective, the big worry isn't necessarily attritional losses. The big worry are these aggregation events, these catastrophic events like uh, breaches or cyber events against what we at CyberCube call technology single points of failure that lead to other cascading implications. Now, one of the learnings um, and one of the, the things that I, I would take um, some solace in is in order to penetrate some of these extremely sophisticated institutions, uh, there are very uh, few uh, threat actors globally that have the cyber uh, trade craft to be able to perpetrate one of those attacks. There are very few institutions and they're all nation states. So one thing to think about as an insurer is what are the motivations of nation state actors to undertake these attacks? And fortunately, it's typically not untoward destruction in the global economy. Usually there are other political aims. And then secondly, eventually, as we think about those very, very worst case scenarios, it actually lead to uh, wars between nation states how does the insurance industry appropriately carve out those as, uh, as items that simply can't be covered by insurance? So I think, um, I, I, I think it, it certainly is one to watch. I would, um, I, I would certainly um, uh, take solace in the, the fact that it's a limited number of, 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 of nation states, and those nation states typically have other uh, you know, other objectives rather than trying to undertake ransomware of small businesses. Um, and I think there's also some other tools at insurers' disposals to say, 
you know what, a, a one-off attack against a single company is absolutely what an ins- a cyber insurance policy was intending to do, even if there was uh, an, a nation state was involved. But once you start escalating to a certain level, you do reach a threshold where ultimately uh, the insurance industry you know, can't be the, the economic savior uh, of the global economy in a, in a cyber warfare event and why actually there's been calls from some of the world's largest insurers and reinsurers to consider public-private partnerships that cover that cyber warfare in the very, very worst case scenario. Sure, sure, understood. I want to ask you one last question on ransomware, excuse me, and uh, and those attacks. It seems like frequently they go after like municipalities and local governments do they go after individuals and why do they go after local governments or government uh, entities? Yeah. Um, I think this is where one of the uh, you know, fun things to do at a CyberCube client event or dinner party is to chat to the folks that do cyber intelligence okay. for, uh, for CyberCube because they have great stories. In fact, even on our board of directors, uh, retired Admiral Mike Rogers, who was formerly the head of the NSA, sits on the board of directors of CyberCube. And so cool. you're not going to get someone that knows more about cyber intelligence than, uh, than, than him. But as I think about our frontline analysts, they spend a lot of time getting in the minds of why does cyber, particularly the financially motivated cyber attackers, do what they do. And ultimately, at the end of the day, it's, it's best to think about them as businesses, and businesses that are run by people that are trying to find the path of least resistance to make money. Lazy is a strong word, but like everyone is just looking for how can I make the most money mm-hmm. with the minimal amount of effort possible and the least likelihood of something bad happening to me back. Municipalities and hospital systems who had also kind of not-for-profit hospital systems who had also throw in uh, a similar but related bucket have unfortunately had the twin characteristics of outdated IT infrastructure, number one. And number two, if that infrastructure is breached with ransomware, the knock-on effects on the economy or sadly on people's lives are such that municipalities or hospital systems have a very difficult decision to be made that will often be made in favor of paying out very, very large sums. Why do they do it? They do it to make money. Why municipalities and hospital systems? Because those have been low-hanging fruit to make money um, in a way that perhaps other businesses might uh, might be able to, uh, to to hold out a little more. Fascinating. Well, yeah. this is one of those interviews that could go on and on and on. It's great to have you here. I mean, we could talk way more about CyberCube than what we have. And what a terrific company. What a great opportunity for you guys to be kind of, you know, on the cutting edge of of something that's so important and, and growing so quickly in our world. We thank you so much for being with us today. Hope to have an opportunity to talk to you again soon. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for the time. This was a lot of fun. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Lee. Lee, what a totally amazing, interesting world and a world that's just it's as big as the internet. I mean, cyber yeah. problems are as big, big as the internet. Yeah, but you know what I really enjoyed about Pascal was that he's he's staying with what what he intended to do. There is so many opportunities to diverge and to get involved in different areas of 
even like I asked him, you know, is it more like a consulting where you tell right. them what to fix? Right. He said, no, we just do right. this. This is what we do. We do it great. Mm-hmm. We're the best. Mm-hmm. And I think that's neat. I think a lot yeah. of times you, you try to serve too many masters and then you fail, but sometimes right. you've just got to stay with what you know. But it, right. what, what a fascinating, fascinating company. Fascinating. And to put analytics to work to underwrite those kinds of risks, super, super interesting. I agree. Right. Um, super challenging. And uh, I bet there's a bunch of like crazy smart people running around in their office. I would say they all are. Um, and he lives in a great place, which I can attest to. It looked beautiful out the window. And so we thank Pascal for being with us today and thank him for really just helping us to understand more about uh, what's going on in the world of cyber. And, um, and we'll look forward to having him back. And we will say thank you to all of our listeners, each and every one of you that are out there. You are a big reason why we do this. And thanks to our intrepid production crew who just told me that my voice is soothing. (laughs) So with that in mind, we'll say to all who are listening right now, what we say every week when we're done, we say, Bye, everybody.